And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined by a frozen Paul Tenorio. Paul, how's it going? How's your head? The yeah. icicle dude too much damage or you concussed? I definitely think I suffered my first concussion last night when I... Uh, You've so, never been concussed? I don't know. I mean, that's not true. I definitely got knocked Could have fooled me. When I, when I broke my <laughs> collarbone, I, I, uh, I, I, I came to on the ground. So I definitely was concussed in that instance. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Sam, thank you for sharing with the world that I, uh, while trying to take the ice off my electricity meter, took an icicle to the dome... From, right off the dome. Uh, from the gutters onto my dome. It's and, dangerous. Uh, luckily, luckily, uh, it just, you know, stunned me, dazed me. But here I am, dazed and no longer confused, ready oh. to talk about not MLS CBA on what is no longer the foremost soccer labor. No, we're, we're all, that's in perpetuity. How many times Sorry, do we have to go I over forgot. this? Okay. It's because I got hit in the head last night. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. I should be more forgiving. <laughs> um, on a serious note, we are back to kind of more regularly scheduled programming here on Allocation Disorder. Last week, we kind of wrapped CBA, hopefully for the final time in many, many years. Um, and we will move on to kind of other things. First and foremost being details of, of the U-22 initiative aka young money in mls um we've got some some things to discuss on that front a couple of other kind of smaller items transfer window has been moved by mls or by fifa i guess technically um and frankie amaya requesting a trade from fc cincinnati um in itself you know maybe that move wouldn't be the the biggest in mls history um but the nature of how it's playing out I think it's pretty interesting, and maybe we'll have some longer-term ramifications. Um, so that's kind of what we'll handle on the show today, and we will start with that U22 initiative. So now that the CBA has been wrapped, this is kind of the next big roster mechanism to be taken care of. Uh, it's been in the works for over a year now, since the initial CBA was agreed to in February 2020. Uh, teams have been making signings for this initiative, but it has not yet been announced. Still, it has not yet been announced. So quick background on the U22 initiative. Uh, it will apply for players, you guessed it, age 22 or younger. They can't turn 23 in the season that they're signed um, under this initiative. And basically what it allows is for teams to go out and spend unlimited acquisition costs on players um, that are capped salary-wise at the maximum budget charge, which in 2021 will be $612,500. So basically, you have a cap on the salary, but you can go out and spend whatever you want on a transfer fee or a loan fee. And the actual budget charge for this player 
will be 150 or 200,000, depending on various factors from what we're told. Again, it's not officially announced yet. What I reported on Friday was that this designation will apply for players until they turn 25 and that the tag can also be used for homegrown players and draftees. So it's not just international signings, but potentially used on guys, maybe graduating from their first contract to their second, lower the cap hit, um, keep them around to give them a little bit of a raise in MLS. So those are some pretty major ramifications, um, particularly the age 25 thing. Paul, we've talked about this on this show before. Uh, I think it's worth exploring a little bit more in depth here today now that we know a little bit more about it. So quickly, your overall thoughts and your thoughts on the ramifications of what that that kind of extended range could be um, all the way to 25. Yeah, I mean, I think I battle with myself here a little bit because I always think it's good with more money coming into the league, more money being spent on players. Like that is always a positive for Major League Soccer, which is so far behind the top leagues in the world and even Liga Mekis, the top league in North America in terms of spending. So in that way, it's good. Um, investment in the product is a positive. Um, but I think there need to, there needs to be some caution going into young money. And there's, there's two big reasons for that. The first is age. If you look historically at signings in this league, young players need time to adapt. And that's just the reality. There haven't been a lot of players who are under the age of 22 who are signed in major league soccer and have an immediate impact. And that's okay. Um, it's that way in a lot of the world that younger players are given more time to develop. The difference being that in other places in the world, you know, there aren't these tags that are stuck on these players. Usually the price tag is what dictates the pressure. And, and so understandably so we've seen a player like Ezekiel Barco signing in major league soccer at the age of 18. Um, and you know, immediately being dubbed, you know, a failure of a signing because he didn't light up the league, um, you know, I, I tend to think that if Ezekiel Barco, you know, had been named, uh, you know, Cam Johnson and was an FC Dallas homegrown, his same statistics <laughs> and impact on the field would have made him a top five under 22 player in the league and he would have been praised for his season. But the difference yeah, is but he Cam, had a but Cam Johnson, tag, right? Cam Johnson didn't have the second biggest transfer fee in league history. Right. At so, the time, the biggest transfer fee in league history when he was signed. So money drives money drives pressure. And, and, and expectation. And so you're going to have a difficult balancing act here if you're the league. These are young players, many of whom are going to have not a lot of first team experience when they get signed. Why? Because of the restrictions of young money. That salary restriction, Sam, you mentioned is a big one. These players, no matter how old they are, in order to qualify as young money players, can never make more than the league maximum, the maximum salary budget charge. This year, that's 612500 So these are not Diego Rossi. These are not Miguel Amiron. This is not Ezekiel Barco. All players who make more than a million dollars when they came to MLS. And, and so we have to, we have to change the way we think about these players and what they're capable of producing off the bat. It's going to take some time for these players. It, there's more risk involved. There is more risk involved. The idea behind it is, it, well, it's it's multifaceted, but one of the main ideas is, is that you can bring these guys in and you can sell them on. And it can help MLS become a selling league. And I think that there's some merit in that. The other idea is like, all right, if you if a team really goes for it and spends a lot of money on transfer fees, and by the way, there are ways, right, 
to spend a lot of money on transfer fees and kind of goose those salaries, right? And maybe do, like do maybe the some... player gets a cut up front and he can make up for it on the back end. I do have something to add there. We'll we'll come back to that later. It's more difficult than it sounds off the top. We'll we'll start. It there. is. It's technically not legal under MLS rules. I don't think so. Well, not you know, only you have that, to hide it. <laughs> but you're you're paying a premium to do that, right? Because let's say mm-hmm. you got to think about and it messes with the market. Right. Well, let, let's think about if you're buying a player from Argentina and you want to play, pay that player an extra million dollars off of the transfer fee and then say, okay, we're giving you a three-year contract. So that's an extra $333,000 per year and we'll have your salary at 612, 612 and 650. Now you're around a million dollars a year, right? Well, in order to give him a million dollars off of a transfer fee, you have to factor in the tax that comes out of that million dollars in Argentina, then you have to factor in that that million dollars yeah. is still part of the and, transfer fee. And also fee. it would be cheating by so MLS that's a rules. So also that part. solidarity fee. So you're talking about, <laughs> you want to give a kid a million dollars, you're paying an extra million and a half. You know, how many owners are going to be willing to uh, to burn $500,000 to pay a million on top of inducing Probably not very many. Not very many. So it is more complicated. Can you do it? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Is it likely to occur on a regular basis with this rule? No. Also, again, probably cheating in MLS. So, like, you know, it's not something that is going to be widespread. That, that's, the, that's the last thing that these guys are worried about. Okay? <laughs> um, that's, that's probably true. So, anyway, the idea behind it is to make MLS more of a seller, right? To make it a more attractive place for young talent. Um, and, you know, ideally to get more higher quality players into the league, right? And Paul, you and I have both talked to a bunch of different sporting executives about this idea over the last 12 months. Um, and I had a conversation with with one here recently, and he said something that I thought was really interesting. Um, and, and what he said was, this has the potential to like, I think the way he put it was to topple parity once and for all. I don't think I really agree with that. Um but, you know, it does have the potential to kind of widen the gap between the haves and have-nots a little bit further. Um, because let's think about it, right? If you do this right, you could have essentially what amounts to six designated players on your roster, right? And if you time it right, they could all be 24 or older, right? All of those guys could be in their prime, firing on all cylinders, and really good players, potentially, Right. And so that, that could lead to some excellent teams. Uh, it could lead to, you know, a, a case of, of a club running out of starting 11 where six of the guys are maybe, you know, $10 million plus transfers. And that's something that would be completely unheard of in MLS. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but this rule creates that potential. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the one thing that, that put, makes it difficult is the, the maximum salary budget charge. It, it makes it a lot harder to, to think of those three young money players as DPs because they're not making DP salaries and it limits really your transfer fee that you can pay for a guy if you're only going to max out what you pay him at at 612000 or even 700000 as we get later on. So I, I hear what he's saying. I understand the concept, especially when you think about investment, the amount invested in those six players compared to what you know RSL is going to be doing. But you know, I do think that there that we need to think of these young money players as as you know distinctive from DPS. I, th- I think so too. But if you do it right and you're spending money and you hit right, then the idea is that they're they're that level of player. So if everything goes right, 
you could do it like that. Now, does everything ever go right? No, but, but it is an interesting idea. I do think that there are a lot of other elements, though. Like, part of this, as I mentioned, is really trying to help MLS become more of a selling league. I'm not convinced that this will do that. Paul, you at the, off the top, you were talking about kind of the risk involved here, right? This, this lowers the opportunity cost of going out and making a big signing because now no longer do you have to use a valuable DP spot on a young player, but lowered opportunity cost does not mean lower risk in terms of um, will this guy pan out or will he not? And when you're signing 17, 18, 19-year-olds, there's a lot of risk. You just don't know and, and, because the sample's not there. And so if you're buying players, particularly for a lot of money, Right. If you're buying them for a lot of money, the margin is real thin on whether or not you can make a profit in the first place. Right. But once you're buying players for a lot of money that are young, it just becomes kind of a, a dicey proposition and it's not going to work all the time. This will be a money pit for certain GMs and we'll probably get some guys fired, but it raises the ceiling too. And I think it's exciting. Well, well, again, a big part of this is going to be how teams and how the league markets these players that matters right and right now when you sosa just got signed by atlanta united right he is a young young money player slamming santi coming coming from river plate okay go look at his soccer way page he has 21 first team appearances in his career to this point 21 that's that's not even a full season of games. So what are the expectations supposed to be around a kid like that? They can't be that high. They cannot be this idea that he's going to be a game changer, a difference maker this season in MLS. It's they, un- they were for Barco. Yeah, because he was an $18 million player. And at least Barco had one season as a professional. He wasn't Almiron, right? Almiron had played in two different countries across multiple seasons. He had produced in, in, in multiple countries. That's not even, I mean, and he is the, the, the shining, the shining beacon of all MLS <laughs> signings. Like everyone is like, this could be our, Omni and he Rome. was like the first one Let of this new model and it totally wrecked the expectations. For you it. did not sign Almiron, whatever team you are. Okay. It's not Almiron. I'll tell you that <laughs> off the jump. It's not. Okay. It's not. And so how we frame the expectation around these players is going to matter. And I think Miami is a great example. Look at the two young players that they signed out of Argentina last year. They were the first two signings in the club's history. They both had pretty expensive price tags on them. One was a DP, one was TAM, both with with significant transfer fees. I think both, if the league allows it, could be converted to young money signings. Well, one of the two. I don't think both because of the salary restrictions. But... You know, the expectations on those two players was massive and they didn't live up to them, partly because these are young players who who are going to take time to adapt. And it was a COVID year and you're all this crazy stuff. Yeah, it was a mess. 2020 was a mess. And so do you do, you know, I I always bring up the examples in Orlando City when I was first covering Brian Rochez and and Carlos (laughs) Rivas in any other MLS year. If they were signed one year later, they would have been low TAM signings, low TAM signings. Instead, they were tagged as DPs. And at the time in MLS, if you were a DP, the expectation was DP production, right? They were two teenagers who had scored in their domestic leagues in Honduras and Colombia, respectively. And they were, they were supposed to be the big producers for Orlando City. 
And that, of course, they weren't, right? So how we talk about these players, how we put expectations on them, when we expect them to produce, all of those things matter. And, and you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens, what kind of patience is there from the league. Because let's use Brian Rodriguez as an example, Sam. No one will call him a success in MLS at this point. In, and in fact, I would I would say more people are calling him a failure in MLS than anything approaching a success. But yeah, this and kid, I would say the same for Barco, right? But, like yeah. I don't know if either are failures, but they've both fallen short of expectations. But but Rodriguez could still be sold for good money, and that would be a success for LAFC if that happens, right? He could still develop into a very good player, and that would be a success for LAFC. I think that ship has sailed as far as making money on Barco because the amount of money that was spent was significant. But you know. We have to start to, I think, especially with young money, gauge the success of these players as much on the end of their time in MLS as on the beginning, because it's it's going to look different for every team. You know, what, what RSL does with this money, what FC Dallas does with this money is going to be totally different than what Atlanta does with this money or what Toronto does with this money or what Seattle does with this money. Yeah. Well, let's get into that. Right? Let's talk about what clubs this should benefit. We've seen Atlanta be active with it already. Sosa, you mentioned. Um, Eric Lopez, who they signed last year and could not even put on their MLS roster because he would have been a DP, I think, and they didn't have DP money, a DP spot available. So they had to stash him in USL for like six months. Um, he's now on the MLS roster. I expect he will be a young money player as well. Um, so I think the rich, right, are going to try and take advantage of this immediately. So I think Atlanta, I think LAFC, uh, I think maybe Toronto. The teams that I'm really interested to see how they use it are the two New York teams, right? Those are the two clubs that are really like key parts of broader global football conglomerates and city football group and rebel. And this is a mechanism that their European counterparts, Manchester City and Red Bull Salzburg, Red Bull Leipzig, etc. This is a place where if they see a player like a Yanhel Herrera, for instance, um, who they are interested in bringing over to Europe at some point, but they don't really have a spot for at the moment. Well, you can pay four or five million dollars you can keep him on a lower salary uh, and you can put him in mls and see how he does and maybe he develops and you can move him over to europe or somewhere else at a point down the road those two teams have the global networks they have the scouting infrastructure to really be able to get in and do this in a in the right way and really commit resources to it and take advantage of it so i'm very interested to see how the two new york clubs go about this um that potential Maybe not to the same degree, but the potential is there for Colorado and Montreal, who share ownership with Arsenal and Bologna, respectively, to do the same. I don't anticipate really that happening. Maybe Montreal will try and pull it off. They're a little bit more involved in that way, and they're trying to do more. Um, but yeah, I don't expect that out of Colorado. But we'll see. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And, and then the homegrown thing and the drafty thing is kind of an interesting wrinkle, too. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was pretty skeptical about how smart or stupid it would be to use this new pot of money on a homegrown player. But if you look in the context of FC Dallas, you know, Jesus Ferreira, he's looked very good in his short stints with the U.S. national team playing as a false nine. I think he's developing nicely, another homegrown who's who's got potential. Maybe you do say, okay, we're going to pay him $600,000 a year and he's going to hit the books at $200,000. And, and now we have a way to lock up this player and and not have it hurt the books, right? And And you look back at somebody like Seattle with Jordan Morris. Right. And, and in his second contract, he ended up signing would pay him seven. His first 000. contract. Shoot. Well, man. His, first, his first contract was, was a, a hundred thousand something a year, which was a I record think it was, for a I think it was road. like 250, wasn't it? I, th- I don't, it was a six figure deal. It was definitely the MLS homegrown record, but either way, this becomes the more efficient way to do it. And, and you kind of have to, again, you take on a little bit of risk because maybe what you're saying to yourself is instead of paying him down the road with a million dollars a year in year two or year three or year four of his contract, you know, maybe we are going to pay him 400,000, 500,000, 500,000 and you space out that money and you decrease the amount that the owner has to pay out of pocket. And you, you give yourself a really, really low budget charge. And it's a way to reward those homegrown driven teams. Um, with guys going on to their second contracts. Right. Exactly. And, and I think also we have to, you know, one thing that I've thought a lot of, a, a lot about, and I used to advocate for this all the time. And, um, I got a little bit excited talking to a GM about it today. Um, is this, you know, for me, there's a concept that MLS, um, should take a harder look at. And I think that young money moves them closer to that. And that's intra-league sales. Right now, the only way to move players within this league is to trade them. And it's very hard. I don't want to say very hard, but typically it's difficult to move players for as much money or more in the league than you can get internationally, especially if they're internationally signed players, right? It's easier to move um, to move those players back to their native country and take the gam than it is to find that amount of gam in a trade. Um, but why not for some of these teams allow an owner to take cash the same way they would go down to Argentina and spend six million dollars on a player to say, you know what? No, I'm going to pay FC Dallas three million dollars for Jesus Ferreira plus a 50 percent sell on and I'm going to make him my young money signing. Why shouldn't that be able to happen? <laughs> and, I mean, and- it, yeah, it should. But it like, why shouldn't it is because. MLS owners don't like competing over the same players, but it's not right because it's the same concept, and it, it and and the the same mm. owners who don't want to compete with the richer owners have, will have no problem taking money from those richer owners. It's a different idea. In this case, you're not shopping for the same player abroad, but you are selling a player just the same way you would with Gam, except for now you're you're increasing the ceiling of what these players can get. So. Again, yeah, it except, rewards, except Dallas would never trade a Jesus Ferreira for Gam because it's not enough likely. money, right? But they might, yeah. If it's, if it's so, price. but if they get three million dollars cash, maybe they maybe they're interested in that. Maybe I don't know. I think that's a bridge too far for them from a parity perspective for for the league to be interested in it. 
right? Because if the rich are getting richer in that way, then uh, I don't think that happens. I do have some questions for you, though, here. What do you think this is going to do to on-field quality? Because when I've been talking to people about this, one really interesting point is presumably most of these signings are going to be international players, right? Most of the DPs in MLS are international players. So if you're using up to six international spots on these guys, well, then you only have two left over. What happens to the TAM players, who many of whom are international? And if you're replacing TAM players with these young money signings, which, you you know, the cap isn't dictating you do that, but maybe international slots will, then what's happening to the on-field product across the league? Yeah, Sam. I mean, I think, again, it goes to the idea of patience. If you are if you are focused on being more of a selling league, and I think MLS has to be. If it wants to introduce more revenue into this league, it needs to be buying and selling players at a, at a fairly regular clip. Then, the, then there is going to be a time when the, I think the quality of play drops a little. However, I do believe that there are teams who are willing to pay um, – to to fast track visas we saw it you know shoot there were players last year in miami who had it's received not, visas it's not before simply a even, question of money i mean it, look there's a there's been a change in president since the last one who made visas much yeah. more difficult for four years and i would say even last year under trump i, I think it was miami right who had a player get yeah. a visa before he had played a first team game for inter miami i think so both is, carranza and pellegrini got green cards before miami even ever played a game right I'm pretty so, sure so it's not impossible to to fast track these visas and i think um we've seen that in this league we've seen that international spots have been i don't want to say they've been devalued because they're always valuable but you can get visas on a fairly you can play. but it's not a guarantee and for canadian teams it's damn near impossible yeah, it's going to be tougher for the Canadian teams, as we know they 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 have these issues. But I, I look, I also am a, a, a really a proponent of the trend we've seen lately, and and we have to admit that when you play some of these younger homegrown players, they're not going to be at the the level of a veteran guy, whether it's a domestic player or an international player, for the most part, off the jump. And eventually they will be, right? Eventually they will be at those levels or perhaps even better. And you if have they to take progress, that hit yeah. if they progress, right? So do you take on those short-term hits of quality of play in one position or two? And, and how do you balance it? Because we're only talking about three young players. Like if you can integrate those three players into the team with a, with a veteran presence around them, then I think it'll be fine. Now, you know, you could be There's as There's also the homegrown element. Yeah. <laughs> So it's an interesting idea. I, I I just think that the visa process, the green card with, process, yeah, the visa and green, sorry, the green card process paired with um, the the strong still um, domestic workforce, which I think is going to continue to grow stronger because of homegrown players. I don't think it's going to be a massive massive headache in the long term. But I do think in the short term, we could see that flare up as a problem. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think it could necessitate a change in, in coaching styles, too, for a lot of teams Sam, do you and think, a lot of coaches. Do you think it changes some of those m- low middle spenders where we see less TAM used? Um, I don't know if it'll have anything to do with your what range you fall in into spending. I do think international slots will dictate a lot of this stuff, right? And, and like, I really believe that, like, I agree with that stance. So if, if all of a sudden you have to allocate your international slots a little bit more, a little bit differently, 
then yeah, I think it'll change how teams behave. Um, they're also, I don't, I, I'm still so unclear on whether or not there are going to be restrictions on how many of these young money spots you get based on how many full DPs you have. That's something that we've talked about and written about before. Um, it's still up in the air, I guess, from what I was told just today. So I don't know. We don't need to get into that, but it sounds like um, there's still a lot of the MLS, like case by case issue and figuring things out as they go element to young money. Right? Yeah. And to be fair, they haven't announced it yet. So they're presumably still figuring those things out. So that's, that's all fine. Um, but I did, I mean, so yeah, I don't know if it's going to affect the mid, the mid money spenders or anything like that. I think maybe you'll see teams take a few more risks, right? With the idea that they'll be able to make a profit. Um, they'll pay, take a few more speculative plays. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how every team approaches it. Uh, I do think the coaching is going to have to adjust though. Cause if you're sinking significant money into players, multi-million dollar into young players, you got to play those young players and you have to develop them and you have to bring them along and you have to teach them and you have to make sure they adjust and transition. And a lot of that falls on the coach and the coaching staff. Uh, and so that's going to require an adjustment for a lot of these teams and a lot of these coaches. So that's going to be another element to this. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of endless. I'm, I'm just very curious to see how it all plays out. I think the potential for it is, is pretty high. One last thing, Paul. I think we've learned here over the last 12 months. Sorry, I'm droning on. But I think we've learned here over the last 12, 18 months. When the time to sell is right, right? You have to strike while the iron is hot. You got to sell when the market says you have to sell. So this doesn't just apply for young money players, but it certainly does apply to them. Um, if one of these guys is excelling and the summertime rolls around, because that's the window when the best deals are going to be available for MLS teams for the most part. And the summer window rolls around, you got to pull the trigger on it. You know, what does that do to quality of play? What does that do to a fan base? Um, these are all elements that I think have to be kind of considered and taken into account. Yeah. I mean, Sam, I'm sure you've had conversations about this before, but what you alluded to with coaching, it, it really necessitates strong relationships between the coaches and the GMs, in my opinion, because there has to be a trust, I think, between the coaching staff and the GM that okay, we are empowering you to play these young players, understanding that it could impact the short-term results. Coaches don't think long-term. They can't. Their job is dependent on the short-term. And so if those coaches believe that they could get fired at the end of the year because they missed the playoffs or because they finish fourth instead of first and lose in the first round of the playoffs instead of the second, you know, because they're playing young kids versus the veteran down the bench who's maybe more ready to help today – versus more ready to help next season, there are going to be some problems. And, and I'm, again, this goes back to messaging. I know it seems like they're totally two different arms of an organization, but in, in this case, when you're talking about development and selling and all, all, all that goes into it, you know, how you, how you sell that to a fan base is as important as anything else when you start to sign players with a, with an idea to develop and sell. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And you start to get into an area where you're kind of ranking your priorities, right? And I think Dallas is a pretty good test case, pretty good example. I think they've shown us with their behavior, their main priority is not winning an MLS Cup. I'm not saying they don't care about that, but it's not their main priority. Their main priority is to develop academy players who can excel in MLS and go on to the U.S. national team. Right. They've said that they've been pretty open about it. And if they can sell those kids, that's great too. 
Um, and they're starting to get to a point where they're doing that. And this doesn't mean they're not a good team. And if they start to hit on some of these international signings that they've really missed on a lot over the years, maybe they can become a winner, right? They're perennially in the playoffs, but but they're never really a real serious, or they haven't been a real serious contender for MLS Cup in five years now. Uh, so it, it's just going to be interesting. And you mentioned it, a relationship between the GM and the coach. I would go further than that. It, it requires a real organizational vision. And it says, what do we want to be, right? Do we want to be a team that's most concerned with selling players and developing youngsters? Do we want to be a team that's most concerned with winning MLS Cup? Um, you just need to have that clear vision. Um, and, and it could incorporate all of those things, right? But you need to have that clear vision and you need to stick to it. Because if you don't and you're changing your plan every six months, that's when you get into real trouble like 2016, 17, 18 Orlando City right? <laughs> that's when that's when you're getting into a bad place as an organization. So you need commitment from the owner and from the executives and from the coaches, and you need that vision and you need everyone kind of pulling together in the same direction to execute it. Um, and I think that this addition of young money will lead to kind of further, uh, polarization is the wrong word, but more kind of distinct models for different individual teams around the league. And I think that's a cool thing. Um, but not all of those models are going to be, we need to win MLS Cup at all costs. And that's kind of interesting for the fan base and for the long-term growth of the league. I think it's been interesting too, Sam, on that note, to see FC Dallas fans celebrate and take victories in the accomplishments of Weston McKinney, of Chris Richards, of yeah. Reggie Cannon abroad, right? They understand that this is who they are and that... And I think a lot of but, clubs but Paul, who are selling clubs do that, you know? I think, is, I think so too. But is that a way to grow a fan base? No. It's I, one thing to have your current fans celebrate it. Is it a way to grow a fan? Because like I think Dallas needs to grow that fan base. I, I think there is something to be said about watch watch the next U.S. national team star here in Dallas, come from here in Dallas. And I also think, but I do believe the ultimate goal of every selling club is to be Ajax, right? To sell and to win. To sell and to win domestic titles, to sell and to win Champions League titles, right? To compete in the Champions League. And Dallas can do that, right? Because now that this real money is rolling in, the owners can invest a little bit more. Now, the, the hard part is down to the, the sporting department, right? They have to hit on their big signings. They have to yeah. get those right. And if they get those right and they bolster those international signings with, a, with the most productive academy in the United States, they should be winning. They should be winning. That's that's the next yeah. level of this, right? But I mean, I, look look at the teams who have won the Shield, right? Philly, Red Bulls. They haven't done it with huge signings. They've done it by being smart with their signings and getting production from their academy. There's no reason Dallas can't be the same. I am curious to see if that success ever translates into the playoffs because it didn't for Philly and New York. Well, I, I want to go back to something I mentioned earlier, Sam, and get your thoughts on this. Um, talking about how different teams are going to do this in different ways. And what I what I want to say is that expectations especially if we're if we're setting the agenda of young money at, on buying and then reselling players at a profit you know there's still a way to do this successfully at a lower budget than what Atlanta is doing it at right not yeah. every player yeah. needs to be signed at 6 million dollars so if you are a team like RSL or Colorado and you have 3 million dollars to go sign three players right on a young money which is half of what Atlanta is going to spend on one player there's still places to go do that, right? You could be RSL and you could go 
buy somebody. You love RSL as low budget team. <laughs> yeah, uh, RSL is in my mind as a low budget team because they don't have an owner right now, right? So they definitely don't have a huge budget. I mean, they they have an owner, but he's not going to give them much much money above what he has to give. By the we know what you discretion. mean. So let's use them as the example. You know, I'm going to talk up my 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 Costa Rican team. I was just uh, you know Alawalense, who Atlanta United will play in the first round of Champions League. Uh, La Liga, as they're affectionately known by the fans of the team in Costa Rica. La Liga is loaded with talent. They have a 22-year-old winger on their team right now, Alonso Martinez. Very good player. Let's say RSL goes and, and buys Martinez for what is essentially a million bucks, right? With a, a salary that's somewhere in the four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year range. If Alonso Martinez comes to MLS and and... At 22, he's an older young money signing. He steps in, he scores goals for RSL at a, at a decent clip. And you turn around after two years and you sell him to Liga MX for $4 million. That's a massive success. That's a huge yeah. profit with a, a player helping you on the The, field the hard part is pulling the trigger on the sale. Right. Right. And, and Jefferson Savarino is an excellent example. Yeah, and you and, Guy who was and, at and maybe the restrictions of young money make it a little bit easier. Obviously, you're always tempted to you're going to be tempted to upgrade a player from young money to DP, um, and and that would be the way that you keep these players on. But these players, if they produce, are going to want more salary, and if they if you don't have the cap space to give them more salary as a DP, you have to sell them, right? So you know, I just wanted to point out that even though the there are teams that are on the bottom of the league in spending, there are ways to utilize young money, you're just shopping in different markets. You're not shopping in Argentina. You're shopping in Costa Rica. And there's a lot of talent in those countries. Uh, you know, again, the risk goes up a little bit more when you go with lower prices. But, you know, I would argue that, you know, the age range probably changes a little bit too. You know, you're, you know, the, the Atlantas and the Torontos and the Seattles and the LAs and New Yorks of the world are probably looking at 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and saying, okay, we're going to go and spend $6 million on a really, really young teenager who we hope is going to turn into something incredibly productive for us. Um, whereas if you're spending a million bucks on a player or a million and a half on a player in Costa Rica or in Honduras um, or, you know, one of those smaller leagues, then, you know, you're probably looking at 21 and 22-year-olds in order to... Um, in order to, to get the most out of your money. Well said, Paul. We've droned on for long enough about young money. Um, we've poured, poured some cold water on young money, which, you know, is kind of sad for something that we're calling young money. It's kind of counterintuitive. Anyway, I digress. Uh, let's take a quick break. Afterward, we'll talk a little bit about the changed transfer window and Frankie and Maya. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder couple of more topics to run through. First up, kind of a procedural one for MLS here. The transfer window, the primary transfer window, was set to open last week. Uh, it did not, um, despite you know uh, an announcement going out that it had. It did not officially open. The league had petitioned FIFA and U.S. Soccer to change the transfer window, push it back by a month, essentially. Um, that change was granted. Uh, the window now will run from March 10th, until June 1st. It was originally set to open last Wednesday and run through May 4th. Um, a couple of reasons why that's important. Primarily, it was due to the delayed schedule uh, because of the pandemic. Um, but all of those players that have gone on loan to European teams, Daryl DK, Paul Areola, Jordan Morris, Brian Rodriguez, etc., etc., their loans were not scheduled to end until May 8th or thereabouts until after the final game of their club's respective seasons. If they had come back from their loans at that point, the transfer window would have been closed. So they could have gone and hung out and trained with their MLS teams, but they wouldn't have actually been eligible to play for their MLS teams until the secondary transfer window opened on July 7th. So that would have been a pretty significant hit for all of those teams. Those guys would have missed a lot more time than you would have thought just you know, considering their loan would have ended in early May. Um, so now, even if those clubs make a promotion playoff that they're at, they'll be able to come back before the end of the window, get their ITC registered with U.S. soccer and with the club, be officially rostered and be eligible to play in MLS. So that is important. Paul, anything to add there? I know there was one other note that you might be able to talk about. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think there were some MLS teams who had put in protections on some of these loans to to have the option to pull a player back if they needed them before um, before the end of the the season overseas in, in Europe. Um, I don't know whether or not that option will be triggered now that they don't have to do it for the registration purposes. But it's good to know just that there were a few MLS teams that were kind of thinking about that already and saying, hey, you know, we need to figure out a way to not have our players sitting around for a month uh, or longer than a month because um, he's he stays through the whole rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. One other thing here, Frankie Amaya, and we've talked about the FC Cincinnati, now third-year midfielder on this show. I talked about it with Taylor on the Total Soccer Show last week, um, his whole situation. Actually, Paul, you walk us through it, man. You reported it. You do it. Yeah, so Frankie Amaya obviously was the first over, first overall draft pick in 2019 for FC Cincinnati. He has been a regular starter for the team over the past two seasons, probably the one consistent starter that's been on FC Cincinnati, which has been the worst team in Major League Soccer. For Consistently first. not bad starter. Correct. I think. Um, yeah. And, and you know, he's he's gone through three head coaches in his two years with FC Cincinnati, three full-time head coaches in two years under in, in FC Cincinnati. He's changed positions. You know, he came into the league as more of an attacking-minded uh, midfielder. Now he's more of a box-to-box midfielder who, with I, I would argue, a deeper-lying player than he was coming in. And, um, you know, he's unhappy um, for, for reasons that we shouldn't have to state. They have been the worst team in the league for the past two seasons. Um, and, you know, he's got legitimate concerns, I would expect, um, about his career tra- trajectory. He, he fell out of the U.S. national team picture on the Olympic team um, playing in Cincinnati. He's, you know, I, I would assume also in some ways that his position change impacted that. Um, and, you know, he... he First, behind the scenes, um, I, I should start with the Cincinnati side of this. You know, they received some offers for Frankie Amaya from from three different MLS teams, one in the Western Conference, two in the Eastern Conference. Um, that one in the Western Conference was the first to come in, and they started to engage that team in discussions. Um, and, and when Amaya learned of this, he decided, hey, getting traded sounds pretty good. Um, and when two more offers came in from Eastern Conference teams that were – hefty offers over a million dollars in, in general allocation money all in, um, you know, including some bonus bonuses and, and, and a sell on in both of those offers. Um, he thought this, this seems like something that could make sense for Frankie Maya and it could also make sense for FC Cincinnati. It's a pretty good haul. Um, when those trades were turned down and teams were told that they, that he wouldn't be traded, Amaya went, um, internally and asked for a trade and eventually, um, I ended up reporting that and, and he confirmed it in a statement through his agent. So um, drama, essentially, is what's happening in, at FC Cincinnati with Frankie Amaya. Well, Sam, do you what do you think um, of, of just the fact that a player as young as Frankie Amaya um, with, you know, as little experience, but but who has been kind of a, a good soldier for a really bad team um, making a trade request? We don't see a lot of these. We don't see a lot of these. Lee Wynn is the other I can think of. Yeah, it's like it's like a James Harden type move in MLS, right? For a player who, while he's shown pretty well, I don't think has like some elevated status in the league at this point. Um, obviously, there are people that believe in him. <laughs> Those trade offers are all you need to know about that, right? Uh, but yeah, this when I saw this, I was like, wow. He's going public. First of all, good for him, right? For fighting for what he wants. 
Like it's his life. It's his career. If he's not happy in the situation that he's in, then he has every right to try and get out of it. Right. Um, the whole draft system as a matter of allocating labor is kind of crazy in general. <laughs> Giving a guy no choice as to where he signs is, is a little bit bizarre and antiquated in my opinion, but that's a little bit of a different discussion. But on the other hand, I'm kind of like, Frankie Amaya is the one doing this. It's kind of bizarre. Right? Like, you, you, he, ML, there are guys in MLS who ask for trades. It very rarely goes public. Um, and I, like, part, so I'm kind of torn. I don't know if this makes sense, but I am curious if this is going to be the start of something where we start to see this happening more and more often in the future, um, publicly. And I'm curious to see what happens next. Does he show up to preseason? Or does he say peace? I'm not. I'm not doing anything. Or does he? Or does he do the James Harden on the Rockets and just like very much not try while he's playing, right? And then what? Then you just have a guy who's unhappy, who doesn't want to be there, and isn't contributing, and is maybe hurting the team. I don't know. So what's going to happen? What do you think? Well, I think it puts FC Cincinnati in a pretty difficult spot, doesn't it? Um, you you go yeah. from a point where you're trying to generate some positivity and some momentum around the club. You signed Brenner for $13 million. You're, you're, you're linked to Pithy Martinez. It looks like you're going to complete a trade with DC United for Lucho Costa's rights and bring him back from League MX. And you're trying to say to Cincinnati fans, we are trying. We are trying to be better. We are trying to win. And they're absolutely and, trying. And, they completed the 12th most expensive transfer in the world. Right. And, and Jared and I can't, <laughs> I think this is kind of the only way you can go at it is to throw money at the problem because the roster was that atrocious coming into Major League Soccer. It was so poorly handled. And, you know, so what do you do? I don't know about right? that. Like I, the first part, not the second part, but hey. on one hand, you have the idea to show that you're trying to win by keeping Frankie Amaya because you believe in him and he could be a really good player. And hey, maybe you could sell him for more to Europe if you can develop him with better players around him. On the other hand, you're turning down a million dollars in GAM, pretty prized asset in Major League Soccer. It's essentially roster space. It's, it's salary cap space, general allocation money. You have a lot of holes on your roster in Cincinnati. That money could be useful I don't know. I, and now you're at a point where we're talking about leverage. Do you dig your heels in and say, we're not going to get pushed around by a young player and he's our player and you, you don't have rights to do this in MLS or really any? I mean, it, we, we see transfer requests around the world all the time. But I, I just think, you know, you have to start thinking if you're Cincinnati, where will our leverage be if he doesn't come to preseason? If he does pull a James Harden, you know, the price doesn't go up from here. Yeah, you're playing a little bit of a game of chicken, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. It, it is it is now a game of chicken. I don't know where it ends, but I, I don't think I see... I, I would be surprised, I guess, to see Frankie Amaya show up at preseason because you kind of have to elevate it at this point, right? You have to... You've, you've started the fight. He sort of he sort of backed himself into a corner, right? No, I mean he could he I don't know. I think he'll show up. You get fined if you don't show up. And it's sort of the same dynamic that we spent all winter talking about with the CBA, <laughs> right? Where at the end of the day, these guys can't afford to miss too many paychecks and, and all of that jazz. So, I don't know. I think he'll show up and he'll be like, "Listen, like let's work on something." And if they don't work on something, maybe he'll show up but he won't be present. We'll call it that. Sam, right? Um, you're you're Nightcamp. 
what do you do? Do you do you go back to the team that offered a million dollars and a sell on? Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. If you had, if there are still three teams interested, which I don't know, maybe you do. If there's still multiple teams interested, then you're fine if you're not camp, right? Because those teams can try and lowball you, but unless they collude together, which I don't anticipate they would do, um, then you should still be able to get a good offer for them. You know, maybe even the same the same offers you had before. Now, if you're in a situation where it's only one team that's interested, then you're in a little bit of a tougher spot. I don't think that would be the case, though, with a player who is young and has shown some solid flashes. And I think it gives you some time, honestly, if you're Nightcamp, to look around the league, look at those teams. First of all, we knew that there were three teams interested before the public trade request. There may be more teams interested now who say, okay, this is going to end in a trade. We need to get a package together that we think can be competitive, right? So let's say you go to that Eastern Conference team. They're offering just straight cash. It's it's really good. You like the idea of it. Maybe you go to another team. Maybe you go back to that initial Western Conference team, and they put together a package with a player and 600000 in GAM. And maybe that's more attractive to you, a player that helps you. Yeah. Maybe maybe DC United, who we know they're in trade talks with over Lucho Acosta's rights, maybe they're interested, right? So I don't think they'll have any shortage of potential partners, which I think means that they'll be able to get a pretty solid price. I don't think they're in a bad spot yet um, if they're willing to trade him. And if they're not, then it's going to be an interesting little game of poker. And how long is Amaya willing to take that? Yeah, and Sam, I mean, I, I will say, man, I, I can't blame... Frankie Amaya for looking around at what he's been a part of in Cincinnati. And even with the signing of Brenner and Lucho Acosta saying, I don't see this ending well for me. Two more years. I think he's at least two more years. This is the third year, probably three more years. It's probably 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 two more guaranteed and another option year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about three more years of FC Cincinnati. I, I can't, I mean, I, I tend to sympathize with the players when they're stuck in these situations, especially in a rookie contract. It's a little bit harder to sympathize with a veteran who signed a new deal a year ago and wants out. We right. talked about it with Aaron Long. It's a little bit harder to say to Aaron Long, like, you have to, like, you know, oh, well, it's too bad that you can't go to the Premier League because, you, you know, a year ago you signed a new deal. But as you alluded to, Sam, I mean, the draft is the draft. He didn't pick where he went. He MLS has kind of standard rookie deals that they give to these guys who are Generation Adidas. Um, and he is a Generation Adidas player. So if this is the third guaranteed year and the next two years are options, he's, he's going to be graduated from GA after this year. That means a pretty significant cap hit is coming for Cincinnati. Maybe that is what triggers a trade. Perhaps. Maybe you get out at the end of the year. But um, – yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I get why he wants out. And I, I do think that at a certain point, if you've decided, like, no, I need out now, you really don't have any options as a player. You, you don't. It's, it's yeah. this. You're, or you're you at the stay. mercy of your team. Yeah, you're at the mercy of your team. And I don't know. Uh, it, you only get one life, you only get one career. And so if he wants to be out, go ahead and do what you need to do, Frankie, right? Um, that doesn't mean Cincinnati has to like it and that doesn't mean they have to do anything about it, but I'm not going to knock any person for trying to get out of a situation that is making them unhappy. Like I said, only one life, only one career. Before we wrap this up, where do you think he would be a good fit? What teams? He's a young player. So 
that already limits the pot of teams where he'd be a good fit because you want to go. Well, to he's a, young, but he has a decent amount of MLS experience. Yeah, but you want to go to somewhere where you know that they're going to play you, where they've they've got a track record. And if, if I'm Frankie Amaya and I'm looking around MLS and I'm looking at the trends and I'm saying, okay, I want to be sold to Europe. I am starting my list with the teams have a track record of selling players to Europe. I'm saying, trade me to Dallas. Trade me to New York Red Bulls. Trade me to Philadelphia. Trade me to NYCFC. Trade me to... Are we running out of teams here? That teams who actually sell? <laughs> maybe maybe LAFC or something like that, that that you know has this idea of being a selling team. They haven't quite got to that point yet. But that's where I want to go. I don't want to go to like... I don't know, DC United or somewhere where they fight selling players or they don't do well, it. But do you think he would be a good fit for for any of those spots? Because like Dallas, they have their own homegrowns. They don't need another one. They don't need yeah. another young player to trade, to spend a ton of money on a, on a kid that they haven't developed and they might not like better than their own academy players. Yeah, I mean, I, I think immediately I would say that he would be a good fit with Philadelphia because he could step right into Brendan Aronson's role. There's an open job yeah, right there that's, that he could step into. That's so. the one that jumped off the page for me was Philly. I mean, they haven't really made any acquisitions like at all this offseason after losing Aronson and McKenzie. So they have they have some space. They have some allocation money. That's the one that jumped off the pitch to me. We'll see if anything gets done, but we'll certainly be following it here. Over the next few, few weeks, preseason technically opens tomorrow. That's Wednesday for Toronto FC. That's crazy. The season's still a couple of months away, but... Um, CONCACAF Champions League is going to open before that so before too long we will have some games until then we'll be talking your ears off about all sorts of other crap thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it this has been Allocation Disorder I am Sam Stasekul he's Paul Tenorio until next time As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.